Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to our Bible study this morning. This is Sean McCain, and I'm your speaker for this morning and every morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every Sunday. And we have Sacred Sundays just to provide a place where we can listen to the Bible chapter that we're uh, working on for that morning and doing a little bit of praying and just keeping a little bit of time set aside 
every Sunday to uh, keep it holy and uh, focus on praying and meditating and doing what we're supposed to be doing that morning and letting go of everything on the outside. I would like to thank uh, uh, Save.org for the beautiful music that we play every Sunday. And then Save.org and this particular uh, tape is called Native Angels. And you can actually listen to it on YouTube for free, or you can buy the CD by going to Amazon.com. That's where I got my CD. So uh, it's very beautiful, and it's Gregorian chants to go along with uh, uh, Native American instruments. So it's it's very beautiful to me. When I listen to it, it makes me really happy. So let's open uh, this morning with the prayer as we uh, keep everybody in mind and focused for in ourselves and our children and our families and our friends and everybody else uh, have we keep a, a focus on praying for others and keeping the sanctity of this day and finding peace in our hearts somehow through all the troubles that everybody's going through. So as we bow our heads, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to thank everybody who is nodding their heads in prayer with me as we pray worldwide to stop the pain and the evil in the world. For those who can't speak for themselves who are suffering from violence, including men, women, children, and animals that are suffering more like now than they've ever had in history. God, we know that there's a fight. There's a fight going on. So the positive prayers, the positive intentions, the help that we can cause out in the world, uh, please, God, please, God, watch over us and help us. And we do call upon Archangel Michael to enter into all our lives and help us fight our battles with us. And we also accept the help of all the other good angels that are there to help us. And we ask Jesus Christ to be there in every way in the Blessed Mother and our Heavenly Father. We need it all. We need all the help we can get. And we ask till we bow our head to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for everything, everything you've taught us and given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm, I want to wish uh, my friend Claire Henry an uh, awesome birthday. Uh, it's her birthday today. And everybody else who has a birthday or an anniversary or a special occasion to celebrate this day, happy birthday, happy anniversary, or any other uh, special thing you have today. God bless you, and may you have a prosperous year ahead. And also, I want to keep in mind a dear friend of mine that's going through what I call the dark night of the soul. Uh, I want to keep him in our prayers and our good intentions and our thoughts his way. Uh, God bless him in every way uh, to help, just to help for him to survive what's going on now and to thrive. And we ask this in Jesus' name that he would get the help that he needs. And also, I would like to pray for the health and the happiness of my family and my extended family and all my friends. And I want to let you guys know how much I love you. And uh, for all of us, let's pray for each other. Pray without ceasing because that's the only thing that's getting us through. When we're called to do this thing called by 
if you ever read this book called Christian Mysticism, it's by Evelyn Underhill. I, I highly recommend it. But she has a chapter dedicated to the dark night of the soul. And in that chapter, it talks about the trials and the pain, and it goes through the stuff. You go through the stuff that's the worst things you've ever been through in your whole life. It's excruciating. I've had many times been to that place, and what happens is uh, you're being changed and rendered there. If you live, to tell a story, to be the person that God sent you out to be. It's a calling. Not everybody makes it, but you'll make it with the, with people's prayers and the help of God. And um, I hope you all make it through your personal night, dark night of the soul. And never, ever, ever give up. Just remember that. Do not give up. Things of this world and the lower powers would like us to give in and give up and uh, proceed with hatred and hit each other and have all these petty arguments. But we know better. We know that we have to fight the good fight. And we have to be armored with with the armor of God. Not go down without a fight. That's the way I feel. Um, I believe in peace, of course, and love and hope and charity and all the good things. But I also believe in fighting the good fight. So don the armor of God and fight against the evil and also the tyrants of the world and things that pull us away from the love of each other. And uh, God bless everybody because you guys are all on my mind everywhere you are and your listeners. And I want to thank my listeners. I know you're listening to the show in archives if you can't make it Sunday morning. I'm really aware that you're there. And keep me in your prayers. Uh, As I'm at the tail end, I hope uh, I get surgery soon to fix this bizarre and and rare thyroid disorder I have to give me the strength because – I think God has blessed me with a fabulous editor for my book, and I think I'm finally going to get that going. And thank you, God, for that. And just thank you, thank you, God. And uh, then I want to be able to have the strength to get out there in the world and do the job I'm supposed to do. And I want to thank you all very much. So uh, let's go back to our Bible. So we're actually in the Second Corinthians, and I didn't. I just realized that we're almost to the end of Corinthians, and then we're going to read in uh, Galatians. So uh, as we turn to our Bibles, remember last week, uh, we're uh, actually talking about money and how uh, St. Paul is trying to get money to fund uh, his ministry. And so, again, it's a little note I have here for this week, Chapter 8. It's... uh, Okay, so let's read for this week. And uh, Chapter 7 was uh, basically about the same thing. So anyway, it's still a pledge drive week for Second Corinthians, and Paul continues to talk about money while the Corinthians consider listening to another station for a chapter or two. Anyway, Paul tells the Corinthians that he's been taking them to, taking them to the church in Macedonia. He already – excuse me. He already um, – is uh, ready to go over there and with open arms, and he hopes that they welcome him and with a bag of money too, and uh, have open hearts and open hearts and open wallets. And anyway, just in case, he's sending Titus and the other two guys ahead. He wants to make sure the Corinthians are ready to give and aren't in a stingy mood. Anyway, if Paul arrives in Corinth with the Macedonians, it turned out. It turned out that, uh, excuse me. 
that the Corinthians didn't greet them with open wallets, that Paul would be humiliated. Anyway, so Paul has asked these three gents to go ahead and make sure uh, Corinth will have their generous gift ready, just like they promised they would. Hey, you did promise. Anyway, he likes to give the gift to be voluntary and not like he's trying to extort them or anything, not at all. Basically, Paul's whole point is this. If you get, you give, is what you get. It's as simple as that. But people have to make up their own minds. You can't force them. Then they'd be grumpy. Anyway, God loves a cheerful giver. And trust Paul. God is going to provide these to those who provide for others. Plus, a commitment to share with other Christians also shows their love of Christ and their devotion to the gospel. Paul believes that, uh, excuse me, Paul believes that uh, we're all in this together, that we know basically sharing is caring. Anyway, so let's go back to read chapter 8, and as we find it in the Bible, read chapter 8. And you, and there's another online source. If you haven't got a Bible there, uh, you go to Ryrie. Uh, uh, I read a, uh, the Ryrie Study Bible, and because I found my original Bible, somebody had thrown it away, and I picked it up uh, by the trash cans uh, when I was living in Hermosa Beach. And uh, I picked it up, and... Uh, I've been studying this Bible ever since. This is my second one because I wore out the first one. And uh, anyway, now for my kids, uh, that's where all the important papers are is in my old one. So that's how I keep my birth certificates and everything. It's in the Bible, kids. But anyway, uh, now let's get on to Chapter 8. You can go to actually www.biblia.com if you haven't got a Bible with you. So anyway, the Apostle Solicitation for Collection for the Judean Saints and the Principles for Giving. And here we go, chapter 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which is given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. And for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave their own of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but that the first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a begin made a beginning so that he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. You know, we have to look uh, about the history of Titus because this guy has turned out to be Paul's right-hand man. And, uh, he seems to have a lot of power and pull. And uh, we got to know about Titus. Let me do a study on that. So I'm going to go to Excuse me, but that's where I got this information at. And I want to thank you for, for that. So, okay, let's go back. Purposes for giving. We're now on chapter 8, verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love and inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work. For I am not speaking this as a command, but as a proving through the earnestness of others and the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through his rich yet for your sake, for this, he, I'm sorry, that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor, so that you become rich and his poverty might become rich. I give you my opinion in this matter so that this is your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the 
readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. The readiness is present. It is acceptable and according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not the ease of others and for your affliction, but by what you call it, that the presence of your abundance being supplied of your heat, so that the supply It is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. Black. It is giving Please, God, set your behalf in the heart of the so, regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things. But now even more diligent because his great confidence is in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker. Only before you to show them the proof of your love. Chapter 9 and the book here. So. Uh, chapter 8, 1-6. The truths of the New Testament giving are presented here, and that it can be exercised even during poverty is a form of fellowship, and it should be preceded by the dedication itself. Apparently, the church at Corinth had never up to this time at, at least supported Paul financially. And then the churches of Macedonia are Philippi, Thessalonica, at Berea, although the church at Philippi had contributed to Paul, apparently the financial conditions had worsened. Perhaps the collection had been stalled because of its problems in the Corinthian church. Then some purposes are given here is to why we give. To abound in all aspects of Christian experience, to prove the reality of one's love, and to initiate, oh, to I'm sorry, to imitate Christ and to help meet the needs of others. So a concise statement of the gospel and the motivation for giving, and it's uh, giving should be commensurate with what one has. And uh, then Paul is saying that, I'm still reading the notes here, that though now it is the believers in Jerusalem who need help from the Corinthians, someday the reverse might be true. In either case, God will supply the need need just as like um that's kind of amazing. So Anyway, so now at this point, I'm going to read our little story guidepost. I don't know what the story is. I picked it random, and I love this little favorite book. And um, somehow I've landed on this title, was Someone Hates Us, and it's by Julie Michael Westner, and she's from Lincoln, Nebraska. So let me read her story. Okay. Here we go. We received the first call right after we moved into our new home. It was Sunday morning, June 1991, 
and we were sipping coffee in our eating kitchen, half uncreated boxes littering the floor. The phone rang, and my husband, Michael, picked it up. Almost immediately, I could tell something was wrong. Michael slammed down the receiver. Anger squeezed his voice. That guy just said, you will be star. You're removed into 5810 Randolph Street, Jew boy. Just then, our 16-year-old son, David, walked into the kitchen. Why would anyone do something like that, he asked. His face was paling. The phone in his bedroom downstairs and had heard the man's words, too. Someone hates us, I thought. We had come to Lincoln two and a half years earlier so that Michael could become the cantor of Ben Nye Jesurim, one of the two synagogues in town. Most of the people we had met had been warned and warm and were welcoming. It must be some crackpot, I told myself. I tried to put the incident out of my mind. Two days later, coming home from my job at the doctor's office, I retrieved our mail and found a thick brown manila envelope addressed in block letters to Rabbi Michael Westner. Wow. Calling to Michael, I tore open the package. Rubber bands held together a thick stack of brochures. On top of it was a card that read, The KKK is watching you, scum. One bilious tract denied the Holocaust hoax. Another called Jews, the great masters of a lie. There were characters of Jews with big, huge hook noses and black people with gorilla heads. Your time is up, threatened one note, incriminating us as a sponsor for those suffering one right white race. I felt invaded, repulsed, and sickened. The police came to investigate, and one officer explained, we suspect the person who sent this package is the local head of the KKK. Now I was frightened. There was a real person behind the ugliness. His name was Larry Trapp, a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. He was severely diabetic, legless, and going blind. He was also considered extremely dangerous. Holed up in a dingy apartment, he kept an arsenal of loaded guns and Nazi paraphernalia. Both the FBI and Lincoln Police Department had him under surveillance. Among those he had hardly harassed, I learned, was his next-door neighbor, a 35-year-old journal- journalist, William Rush. Unable to walk or talk because of cerebral palsy, Rush depended on his computerized voice synthesizer. When Trapp heard Rush playing the tape of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, through the thin apartment wall, he went into a rage. Using a CB radio, he broadcast scurrilous comments that were picked up by Rush's voice synthesizer. He continued the verbal site, salt night and day. Wow. Trapp made a name for himself in the community by sponsoring a white supremacist video series, Race and Reason, on the local public access station. Publicly, he claimed he wasn't against blacks or Jews. He just wanted to preserve the white race. But privately, he had mailed hate-filled messages to a prominent black woman in town. Recently, Vietnamese immigrants had moved into Lincoln, and he launched another sordid campaign against them. We did not discover all this right away, but it was clear we were being threatened. Following the police's advice, we installed deadbolts on our doors and began to lock our car, carefully checked the mailbox before reaching in. We started being extra cautious with our three children, making sure we were aware of every moment movement and how we how you but how could you steal yourself against such hatred what makes him do this why is he so bitter and angry michael seen seen had seen matt trap once at a meeting in town called the coalition against racism and prejudice wearing a baseball cap with a kkk logo he spoke out against the coalition 
trap was so intense, so powerful, so focused that Michael said at first I didn't even notice he was in a wheelchair. What's wrong with the man, I thought. He had once been a patient of the doctors I worked for, so I knew where he lived. One day on my way home, I found myself making a detour to drive by his apartment at 817 C Street. Gazing at the plain brown one-story building, I wondered how he became so evil. At home, I turned to Proverbs, my favorite book in the Bible, and came across the passage. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, continually sowing discord, therefore calamity upon him will suddenly, in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. 6, 12-15, Revised Standard Vision. I saw Larry Trapp's apartment in my mind's eye and asked myself, when will he be broken? Michael also became just obsessed, not one to sit on his anger. He told me he was going to call Trap. After dialing Trap's number, Michael listened to an 11-minute message, Vigilante Voices of Nebraska, a recorded tirade of hate. Michael called again and again to keep the recording playing so no one else could hear it. He kept it up for a week until a friend told us that tying up someone's telephone line was illegal. The next time Michael called Trap, he left his own message. You better think about all this hatred that you're spreading because one day you're going to have to answer to God. After that, whenever he thought about it, Michael called Larry and left the message. Once he said, why do you hate me? You don't even know me. How can you hate me? Another time after seeing Larry interviewed on television, standing in front of the Nazi flag, Larry said, Michael said, excuse me, Larry, with your disabilities, the Nazis would have made you the first to go. Michael continued his calls for months, and one night in early September when we were eating pizza in our kitchen, I had an inspiration. If Larry ever answers the phone, tell me you want to do something nice for him. Several weeks later, right after one of Michael's brief messages, Trap picked up the phone and accused my husband of harassment. I don't want to harass you, Michael said. I was thinking you might need a hand at something. Can I take you to the grocery store? There was a silence on the other end. Then Larry's voice changed slightly. I've got that taken care of, but thanks for asking. Maybe Larry was softening. Maybe all the messages were having effect. I realized that they were having effect on us. We had started out contacting him in hurt and anger, but we were becoming to care. In a moment, he would be broken beyond healing. Proverbs had promised. I didn't want him to be broken irreparably. I wanted him to heal. In mid-November, the local newspaper carried a story that gave us hope. Larry was taking peace and reason off the air. I am not backing out of the Klan or white movement, he's quoted as saying, but I think we should work for equal rights for all. What? Oh, excuse me, that was me. He's waffling, Michael said. Michael called up Trap Larry. He said, if you want to talk about this change of heart, I'd love to help you. I'm not having a change of heart, Larry insisted, but there was something different in his voice. At the time, he was facing a judge's sentencing for harassing Bill Rush. Rush. On his on his talk, on his way to court, November 15th, Trap was surrounded by TV reporters. I don't want to talk to Jews, he shouted at the cameras, rolling past in his wheelchair. He was fined $500 and given a two-day jail sentence pending an appeal. He left furious, but that night, Michael called again. Larry was apologetic. Do you still want to rethink things, Michael asked? Yes, and I'm going to do it myself, he replied. Then the same evening at the synagogue, after naming several ill members and friends, Michael suddenly turned to the congregation. 
pray tonight for someone who is sick with the illness of bigotry and hatred. Please pray that he can be healed. Please pray for Larry. That night, the three kids went out. Michael and I were trying to decide on a movie to see, and the telephone rang, and the man asked for the rabbi. It was Larry Trapp. (sighs) What I could hear of the conversation left me stunned. This was a greater change than I could have prayed for. He allowed us to visit him. He wants to get out of it, Michael said. We got into our station wagon and drove downtown. I knew the block and the apartment building only too well. We knocked on the door. It opened slowly. There was Larry sitting in his wheelchair, a huge Nazi flag behind him. His piercing blue eyes looking up at us. Hi there, we said awkwardly. Then Michael extended his hand. At the touch of of Michael's hand, Larry burst into tears. We knelt down and hugged him, all three of us crying. As Larry repeated over and over again, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for all the things I've done. He had us take away the KKK and Nazi paraphernalia. Over the next month, he apologized to the people he had harmed with his words and anger. On Martin Luther King Day, he even joined us in the synagogue for interracial service. Larry came part of our family. With Michael's help and instruction, he studied Judaism. As his health deteriorated, he moved in with us, and we were able to care for him. The doctors didn't give him many months to live, so I took him off time for my job to be with him. I came to know about the horrors of his childhood and forgave him. More important, he forgave himself. One day when he was still mobile, he disappeared into a mysterious mission and returned with a bouquet of a dozen yellow roses and notes that read, To the most beautiful woman who helped me in my transformation from a dragon to a butterfly. The morning he died, Michael sat at his bedside holding his hand. I miss him, but the life... But the life lesson his life remains. God inspired love will always defeat fear and hatred, always. Thank you, God. So let's close our service this morning with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference on them. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you and love you very much. And let's pray for each other, okay? Bye-bye.